Welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. But today on the show, we are doing something a little bit different. We've been doing a lot of special episodes lately, and hey, I've been having fun doing them. I hope you're out there listening and enjoying them. It's fun to take a little break from the usual format once in a while, but we're going to talk about some of our favorite comedy sequels, very specific comedy sequels. Joining me is Joe Black, who has his own comedy sequel out. It's called Suffrage. It's a sequel to the film Natasha Hall that we actually covered here on the show a couple of years back. And so I thought it would be a great opportunity to talk about his new film Suffrage and get into some of our favorite comedy sequels. That's coming up here in a second. Before we get to it, I do want to remind you, as always, to make sure you're subscribed to Peace it together wherever you listen to podcasts you can follow us on social media at piecing pod and don't forget to join our facebook group popcorn and puzzle pieces where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show Last but not least, I also want to remind you that we do have a Patreon, the Produced by David Rosen Patreon, where I post bonus and advanced content from Piecing It Together, from Awesome Movie Year, and from my music career. Lots of great stuff over there. So if you're enjoying the show, you know, of course, make sure you're subscribed, you know, comment, share, all that stuff. But if you want to support us in that way, I would appreciate it. You can check it out, patreon.com slash Rosen. There's a lot of great stuff over there, so check it out. And with that said, let's get to this conversation about some of our favorite comedy sequels. All right, Joe Black is back with us. We're going to talk about his new movie and then get into some other comedy sequels. Joe, how's it going? Oh, uh, you know, just uh, getting the deliverables ready for for suffrage uh, for our distributor um, while also trying to finish up the script for Natasha Hall 3 which is uh, <laughs> going to be called Dumb Lucky. Um, and then oh, I'm done, nice. Yeah, I'm done with the character after that. I, uh, yeah. you know, I, I, I'll have said all I wanted to say. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I'm sure it's going to be a wild ride getting into that one. And uh, who knows what we're going to do. Our, our favorite uh, threequels? I don't know. We'll see what happens when we get to that one. But uh, <laughs> you know, I thought this would be a fun uh, way to work suffrage in uh, to a Piecing It Together episode to uh, kind of pair it with comedy sequels. Uh, I've been doing a lot of special episodes lately on on various topics, and uh, I, this is something that's been on my mind for a while. So uh, yeah, th this is going to be a fun one. I want to talk a little bit about suffrage first before we get into all that other stuff. First up, right off the bat, you know, this being a sequel to Natasha Hall, tell us a little bit about where the character of Natasha Hall has been and how she ended up here in this one. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it it it'd be nice if I even knew that. Um, the the, <laughs> the first Natasha Hall, which is uh, available on Tubi and Amazon, everyone. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, the first Natasha Hall we made during uh, lockdown, and we set it in uh, nineteen ninety. And uh, mm -hmm. you know, she's this detective character, and um, it, I I had set out to make that movie like a like a Beverly Hills Cop, Fletch kind yeah. of movie. And uh, sure. when when I sat down and clacked at the keys, that's not necessarily what came out. Like the mm -hmm. movie, the movie was very funny, but it was it was a it was kind of heavy. It was a very heavy movie. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So so I I I I knew that for the sequel, I wanted to lean more into the the comedic adventure kind of side of it. You know, like a like a Fletch story or something. Sure. And lean, I did. Um, I I leaned very hard into it on this one. So. It's very tonally different. This one, this one's almost like a 
almost like a cartoon. You know, you remember when they used to like yeah. make uh, uh, Saturday morning cartoons of like movies that they should not have back in the day for kids? You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, it's like, like Beetlejuice the cartoon or something. It's one of those basically. It's it's the yeah kind of a cartoony '60s campy version, and it doesn't quite go in continuity with the first one. Certain elements do, like certain characters and stuff. But this one is set in modern day, for example, and um, yeah. And, uh, you know, but, but, but it's funny. Most people, when they see this one, like their initial, they're, they're like, wait, is that set in the sixties? I don't, you know, cause again, <laughs> how cartoonish we made this one. Sure. Um, sure. And that's something I plan to keep up for the next one too. The next one, it, like I leaned really far on, on the first one into like the heavy sided. And then in this one, I leaned really far into the ridiculous and, and fun and goofy side. And so now I want to find like the sweet spot middle, you know, for the third Sure. One. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I I like that too because like, you know, it's comedy, the rules can be skewed a little bit and like setting and timeline, you know, like why not play around with that because most of all it's the character. It's you want to see this interesting character uh involved in in a fun story versus like any kind of continuity or anything like that. So, right. like uh, definitely that makes sense. Yes, exactly. Like yeah. Ernest, which yeah, yeah. gives a shit. Of course. The, yeah, like, you know, to what you're saying, like, the character, we set the original in 1990 because we wanted to make a parallel to how lockdown was for us in 2020, you know? Yeah. And um, so the whole idea of the character right out of the gate is that she's supposed to be kind of like malleable in that way, mm -hmm. you know, like she can be put, you know, so like, why not just honor it, you know? And uh, absolutely, and, absolutely. Yeah, put her in any time we want. For sure. And You're right. You know, Dumb lucky it'll be of... set in the 1700s. That's what I'll Oh, do. sure. Why not? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Uh, part of the, um, you know, making this one sillier and kind of more out there, I think is in the more sprawling, uh, you know, city, lots of, lots of different characters. Um, you know, there, there's a whole lot of different people in this mystery that she's gotten herself, uh, involved in. It, Talk a little bit about that and like, you know, trying to expand the world, basically. Yeah, yeah. The first one is called Natasha Hall, and it's about Natasha Hall. You, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, it, so it's about her. And uh, that's that's how we kind of pitched it to people. We were like, we were like, it's, 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 you know, what if Speed was just about Jack? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so like sure. this movie, that movie was just about Natasha. This movie... I wanted to make it about the world that Natasha inhabits, like you said, you know what I mean? And and I thought it'd be kind of fun if, uh, now that we know the character so well, we can see the world through her lens, you know? Mm, um, yeah. And, uh, and usually my movies are, are ensemble pieces. Like, they don't start out that way in my mind, but in by the end, I'm like, how many people do I have to cast? 47, <laughs> got it. You know, um, yeah. How many roles is Dave gonna play exactly. in, on radios? <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, part of that continuity. Um, but yeah, um, and I think that comes from uh, the whole. Like, I make movies for no money. You know, at, at currently, I say no money, which is sounds ungrateful, but micro budget movies. Sure. Um, and when you do that, like, you know, you can't afford to, like, write something for, you know, Nicolas Cage or write something, you know, for Rebecca Hall or, you know. So what you do is you you write for the people you know. It, yeah. and, 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 and it's a way to kind of, like, celebrate what makes them uniquely them. And so that's, that's kind of my favorite thing to do as a writer uh, is write, 
write for these people I know and and get to like shine a ridiculous light on who they are. So that's what this movie is. And and like you know, in a comedy it's you know, it's all about, you know, rhythm and timing and pacing and all that kind of stuff. And um and so for this movie I think what makes it a little unique is that even though we've got like this big goofy cartoonish aesthetic and feel and rhythm, we still take time to like see the see the characters as human like we have a big centerpiece with the character mickey simpson who's this like homeless guy who plays you know uh plays his guitar outside of a donut shop that helps natasha by pretending to be a cop at one point you know and it's this big goofy chase scene and then there's almost like a denouement to that to that whole sequence in the end where you know where mickey just like thanks her for you know and she's like well i just kind of used you and he's like yeah well you know still nice to be thought of yeah you know it's like and and I like that. I like I, you know, that's kind of the headspace that I explore. Uh, like when when I'm out in the world, is that like I see everything is like inherently funny, like everything yeah, is sure. like, like or amusing is like the better word. You you know what I mean? And sure, uh, sure. And and I think that, but it but simultaneously, I I feel like I I take in the the sincerity of everything that's going on around me. And um, mm-hmm. I just really like being alive. I don't know. <laughs> so um, I, I I get that. I absolutely yeah. get that. You know what though? To to the point of the seeing everything is silly. Um, I, I do want to talk about. Uh, you know, of course, your your wife, Cat uh, Black, is Natasha Hall, and um, early on in this movie, in Suffrage, uh, she gets her nose broken and then uh, is uh, in a bandage or, or a brace or whatever, and is then for about 90% of the runtime uh, is in that. How did she feel about that? How did you come to that decision? And um, cause it's ridiculous to have your main star in a nose brace, the whole movie. Yeah. Well, so this movie was supposed to be a, like, it's, it, it's a bit of a, like a conspiracy theory. It's, it's the whole, this one surrounds a political election and this yeah. case that Natasha gets involved in that like, is like just like bizarrely connected to this weird political conspiracy, um, yeah, and uh, and that's kind of like the comedy of it, like how like interwoven Hollywood and politics are, blah blah blah. So I, uh, you know, I immediately thought of the movie Conspiracy Theory, which mm-hmm. is uh, one of my absolute favorite thrillers uh, with Mel Gibson. Oh, and yeah. Patrick Stewart. And my favorite scene is when they're torturing Mel, trying to get information out of him at the beginning, and he escapes by biting off Patrick Stewart's nose. Sure. And, yeah. um, and I, I thought to myself, like, you know, that's kind of funny. The idea of like a detective who has no sense of smell, like can't pick <laughs> up on the scent. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like I thought that that was just a funny image. And, and, you know, the first, the first Natasha Hall also, you know, borrows a lot from the long goodbye, just like any detective story does made after 1975 you know they all borrow from the long goodbye so elliot gould being the star of that movie um he did another movie with robert altman called california split where he gets his nose broken in like halfway through that movie and he's wearing like this nose thing and i remember he just like he just looks so cool like even with this (laughs) nose thing on for the whole he just looks so badass you know and uh, yeah yeah and so it all just kind of blended together beautifully and 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 you know, like, 
I don't know. I I think that I'm gonna kind of miss the nose, uh, the 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 thing in this new one. I'm I'm gonna kind of miss that bandage over her nose and stuff. And Cat was, that was that was her sacred prop. Was that was yeah. that bandage? She was the she was the only one who could touch it. She was the only one who could make it in the morning. She was looking at pictures every morning to make sure she got the strips exactly right. You know, like um, yeah, she took that very very seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the the uh, the combination of. Uh you know the the politics and like the the city at large meeting with the actual like smaller mystery that she's involved in also reminded me of the nice guys a little bit and then you could also talk about Ryan Gosling you know cutting up his arm and ending up uh you know with, with the bandage for about half the movie so you got that too as another uh, example of a character you know fucking themselves up basically and having to deal with that the whole movie and we talked about it how the nice guys like you know I got to uh I little bit of a brag here shane black let me read Mm -hmm. that script before it came out and uh and i thought the script was just like a masterpiece like i like i I thought the script was beyond brilliant and to what you're saying i loved the conspiracy theory element to it and i love the whole scene where where the girl explains that like they make the porno because that's what people want and then they hide the message inside of it but i was like yes 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 and then when i saw the movie the performances and the pacing of it and the, and the, the weak limp action. I was just like, Oh man, like you're I, crazy I, it, Joe black. Well, you're crazy. If I hadn't read the script, like yeah, if I hadn't yeah. read the script, I might think it was better, but you know, that scene at the beginning where the car bursts through the house and the little boy goes down and sees the girl naked there. And she's the same girl who was in his porno that he was looking at, you know? Yeah. And he puts the thing on, yeah. on paper. That was like the most incredible opening I had ever read in my life. Like I, I mm-hmm. but in the theater when I was watching it, I thought to myself, well, "Where are his parents? That didn't mm-hmm. wake them up. They wouldn't be looking mm-hmm. for their son after a, you know." And like, and all I could think of was like, "You could fix that with one little line of ADR off camera, like you know, in the big final crane shot. Just have them off, you know, Cameron, Cameron." <laughs> You know, just just fix it a little. Just fully realize that vision. Um, mm. Sorry, I don't no. mean to criticize it because thank you for the, the for the comparison. Uh, yeah, sure, uh. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Uh, I I also we got to talk about Eric Roberts because uh, he he's just so great, and you got him into this movie. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, working with him. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He um, so I originally wrote that part for um, Elliot Gould, and. Uh, mm-hmm. I had a bunch of financing uh, that was going to come in and we were going to make the movie and then the financing fell through. Well, a week before we started shooting, three-fifths of the financing for this movie fell through. Hmm. But I had already put so much into it, I was like, fuck it, I'm going to do it. So at that point, I couldn't make it SAG anymore. I couldn't make yeah. it a union production. Um, and uh, But thankfully, I know that Eric Roberts is, um, is uh, FICOR. So, mm-hmm. um, he can work on non-union projects and, uh, I actually just, uh, so I rewrote the character to kind of fit him, you know, um, I had a short list of people that I knew were FICOR that I was going to reach out to, but he was my number one. So I rewrote, especially after Righteous Gemstone season two, um, yeah, sure. like what he proved Righteous Gemstone season two to me is that he still got it, you know, yeah. like, like he still can, you know. And uh, I found his wife's cell phone number, and I called her, left a voicemail. She called me back the next day and said, "Send the script." I sent it, and an hour later, she called me, and she was like, "She's like, 
tell us what day and we're there. And, uh, and we filmed that scene at, uh, Rocky Morton's house. The guy who directed uh super Mario brothers, uh, with Bob Hoskins. We filmed that at his house and, uh, we were getting ready to do an establishing shot of the house that morning. And, uh, so I had Rocky park his, uh, Aston Martin and his defender 90 in the driveway so that it looked all, you know, like these beautiful, expensive cars. And we're literally about to roll on the first shot when like Eric Roberts and his wife, like pull up and they're like Honda or something like, and, park <laughs> right in and I was like, amazing. Eh. Well, I was like, you know what? Let's go with it actually. And I asked him if we could leave their car there. So you got this defender 90 and you know what, uh, hell in yeah. The shot. And, um, he was a half hour early, which was like, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not even a half hour early usually for my call times. Yeah. And, uh, and he was just uh, like, uh, it, I've worked with a lot of veteran actors and I've had great fortune with all of them. We've, we've gotten along and had, you know, good time. People like John Grice and, you know, uh, EG Daly, but Eric Roberts was the most like laid back, cool, was on his shit, you know? And, um, and he actually stayed a little bit longer to help us because we were running because we had a camera. Of course, the one day we have Eric Roberts, our camera died halfway through mm. the day, so we had to God. like swap cameras. And then I'm worried that like the footage won't be able to be saved from the first camera, you know, whatever. Um, but we finished out the day, and toward the end of the day, I was like, "We only have two more shots to get. I promise, and we'll get you out of here." And he pulls me aside. He says, "Hey, hey, hey, don't do that." He said, "Don't say that about your movie. I'm here to work." I'm here to make this come true for you, and I'm having a good yeah. time. I I will be here until you don't need me anymore. And I like, like I almost like cry. I'm like, thank you, Eric. <laughs> I also quick little. I I have whenever I work with a veteran actor, I bring a copy of my favorite movie they've been in and have them sign it. Either my favorite movie of theirs or my favorite performance of theirs. And I brought mm-hmm. Inherent Vice with me, nice. which is you know a huge influence on this movie. And and he says to me. <clears throat> He's like, he's like, what was my character's name in this again? <laughs> and I, you know, I was like, uh, you know, uh, you know, I told him it. And then he was like, he was like, he was like, right, right, right. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you understand this movie? And I said, good I question. Said, yeah. yeah, I said, yes, I do. Actually, I've seen it enough. Yeah, I, I understand it from start to finish. And you and I are going to do that episode on it one day. I promise. Oh, yeah. But I was like, for sure. I was like, yeah, I do. And he goes, he goes, great. Can you explain it to me? <laughs> like, I, do you have he, an hour? Yeah, he, well, he told me about the day where he told me about the day when he was shooting. He was like halfway through the day. I said to Paul Thomas Anderson, "I was like, Paul, I'm lost." And he said, and Paul popped up from behind Video Village and went, "Lost is good." Mm-hmm. <laughs> so amazing. Yeah, it was. It was that a cool is an day. awesome. Story. And then, oh, I, and I forgot he he halfway through shooting that day, his buddy showed up who had a studio right up the street, and it turned out to be Bill Fishman who wrote and directed Tape Heads. Oh and, yeah, yeah. Like, I was so excited. I was like, dude, get in here. Like and I put him in the movie. He's actually in the movie in the background of one of Eric's shots. So look Hell out for yeah. the Bill Fishman cameo. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler alert for my uh first time watches special episode I always do at the end of the year. Tapehead's is gonna be high up on that list for sure. So nice. that's a yeah, great I, one that Joe introduced me to. I rewatched it after meeting Bill that day, you know, because when I was in high school, that was like a seminal film for aspiring, you know, filmmakers, especially before the era of DSLRs and stuff, you know. And sure. when I rewatched it, I was like, my God, this movie should just be called Rosen, the David story. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, like, Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Well, I want to, I'm sure we'll end up talking about suffrage more along the way, but I want to start getting into some of these comedy sequels that we're going to bring up. I'm sure Joe is going to have uh, a few 
good hot takes here. I know uh, he he tends to really like a lot of comedy sequels that most people kind of shun. And I don't know, I guess maybe I do too sometimes while looking at my list. But um, it's going to be an interesting list here. And these can be number two, number three, number eight, whatever in a series, as long as it's a sequel. Mm. And uh, yeah, I think this is going to be a fun list. Let's start with your first one. And this mine are in no order. It's just uh, five that I really like. Uh, what do you have for your first one? Deuce Bigelow, European Gigolo. Hell yeah. um, be, and, and honestly, that movie this is, was a huge influence on suffrage. Um, okay. What I like so much, the first Deuce Bigelow, I mean, uh, is, is just like, it was kind of a surprise when it came out because everybody's like, oh my God, Rob Schneider. But, and then the movie came out and it was like really sweet. It was like a really mm-hmm. sweet movie and, and you liked the yeah. characters and it was a, it was a, it was a rom-com, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and it worked. Um, and then for the second one, they were like, all right, this time we're going to give them the movie they were all afraid of the first time, you know? Sure, um, yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's just so, they leaned so heavily into the abstract and the absurd. And, like, and I mean, you've seen this film, I, I assume. I haven't seen it since opening weekend, and I liked it at the time. I didn't hate it. I know it's got a really bad reputation, but I didn't really remember anything about it. You did show me a couple clips from it, though, on yeah, your phone, yeah. and uh, they're yeah. they're hilarious. I got to yeah. rewatch it one of these days. I mean, like just to give a, like a quick example, there's one sequence in the film on uh, Eddie Griffin plays a pimp named TJ, and he's got a boat, right? Mm-hmm. And And he lives on the boat, and in this movie, Natasha lives on a boat. Or uh, uh, yeah, sure. Natasha's uh, uh, buddy lives on a boat. Um, yeah. He lives on a boat. It's called De Pimp of the Sea. And <laughs> the mast is, is, a, is a fucking statue of TJ. And yeah. the boat is on hydraulics. So it like he shows, like, check out my boat. <laughs> then they go on the boat. And the boat is, like, knee-deep in water. And, mm-hmm. and Deuce says to him, TJ, I think you got a bad leak in here. And he goes, nah, it's just high tide. <laughs> like, like it, it, <laughs> and he also says oh and when you take a piss lift up that toilet seat this is my home i don't need any strangers pissing on my toilet seat and you look over and the water level is just about an inch above the toilet <laughs> um, that's amazing yeah, that, so yeah like, i got i gotta watch that soon yeah, i gotta rewatch it, that they really <laughs> lean into like fuck it territory you know what i mean and, yeah and yeah. And I I remember by the time I saw that on opening night, and that was back when movies were on film, people. So I'm watching Rob Schneider's face in the largest theater at the Cinemark Theater opening night with 300 other people losing our minds laughing. And then you go out into mm-hmm. the real world and everyone's like, that sucked. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> like, fine, fuck you. Now that you're in the light, you can pretend. Um, yeah, my, sure. And I say it as one of those moments where I knew that I picked the right uh, the, the right woman to marry when I... I was coming home one day and as I was walking up to my apartment, I could hear my wife laughing inside and I opened the door and she's in, I can hear her in the bedroom. She's watching them and she's laughing like hysterically. And I'm like, and I say, what in the hell are you watching? And she comes flying around the corner and she goes, Joe, have you ever heard of a movie called Deuce Bigelow European Jiggle? <laughs> hell yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> That is the one. Uh, I'll go to my first pick, which is The Naked Gun, Two and a Half, The Smell of Fear. 
Uh, I actually watched this first. I hadn't seen the original Naked Gun uh, when I saw this movie, and it just blew my little 11-year-old mind. It was <laughs> the funniest thing I had ever seen. I still love it. It's so good. I think I probably like the first one better, but it's almost as good. Uh, there are It's just nonstop hilarious. Leslie Nielsen still in top form. I mean, later in life, some of his, you know, spoofs weren't quite as good as, you know, this particular era. But uh, scene after scene after scene of just hilarious stuff. All the returning cast is hilarious. All the new people are funny. Um, this series is so great and taken together with the police squad. It's just, it's all great. And uh, I, I love 33 and a third as well. But two and a half, though, uh, as far as like post The Naked Gun is I think the better one and the one to bring up here. Is that the one with the staircase with the untouchable spoof? Is that the, uh, or is that three? Actually, no, that is 33 and a third. Okay. Yeah. yeah. See, two is the black sheep for me. Like, that's so funny. I yeah. know the first one pretty well. And wait, is Anna Nicole Smith in the second one or the third one? That's uh, the third one as well. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let, let me double check that. Let me double check yeah, that. Yeah, let's do uh, our research here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's... Uh, and Nicole Smith is the third one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The yep. one with... Paps me? I remember that. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Ward. Great series, though. Uh, so funny. Uh, Leslie Nielsen's the best. Just he's. Just I like his so later good. spoofs. Like, you throw him... I mean, wrongfully accused and spy hard, that shit's hilarious. Like, that's got your yeah, boy, they, too, they, Weird Al doing the opening credits. Oh, yeah, that's that's a classic for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. What do you got next? Okay, so, yeah, so, like, you mentioned that, like, the first one is uh, Naked Gun is still better. And what I wanted to do, because I love so many of these comedy sequels, I tried to, like, limit this list to only the ones that I think are better than the first mm -hmm. one, personally. Sure. Right? Like, or that I like more than the first one. So, like, I would have put, like, Blues Brothers 2000 on this list. Because I mm. think that that's a really underrated, beautiful, lovely, wonderful movie that's a love letter to uh, a fading art form. I think it's a masterpiece, but it's not as good as one. So for right. my next piece, I'm going to say Ace Ventura, uh, When Nature Calls. Um, yes. Which, uh, you know, is funny. Like, I didn't realize what a controversial opinion that was. Like, my wife is just like, nope, no, the first one's better. Uh, my DP on Natasha Hall, he was like, nope, the first one's better. You know, I'm just like you guys. I mean, does the first one have Ace using a skunk as a, as a, as a, like a weapon after quoting yeah. Scarface? Like, no. Like, you know what I mean? Does the first one have yeah. Ace Ventura in a fucking mechanical rhino? Like a, a like classic being... scene. What one of the best scenes of any comedy of that era of the '90s? Oh, uh, you know, must have air. <laughs> and like the the slinky <laughs> going down the steps. Like the first one. One of the things that I don't like about the first one, and and and. I've warmed up to the first one the last few years or so. Maybe I've just been beaten into submission by my friends and family. But, like, mm -hmm. one of the things I don't like is that I feel like he, like, him being out of place. Because the first one feels like the real world, and he feels kind of out of place in it. But, like, not in a funny way to me. Not in a Marx Brothers way. Just more in, like, an obnoxious way or something. And mm -hmm. it, it seems like nobody else is having as much fun in the movie as he is. And one of the things I yeah. love about the second one is that everybody is in this ridiculous weird world and 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 yeah. but I don't know I and the set pieces in that like whether he's fighting Tommy Davidson with the spears oh, or Tommy yeah, Davidson yeah, I, is so good in this that's oh, what I was going to say I never <laughs> we actually uh like I mean 
gosh, I hate to say this, but like we actually took two things directly from this move from Ace Ventura when nature calls for suffrage. One is the skunk. Um, mm-hmm. but ours oh, yeah, is an sure. actual, we, we, I actually had, uh, we had some Norwegian producers named Pitt and Raymond on the first Natasha Hall. And on this film, they actually came from Norway to work on it. And, um, mm. they made this creature, they made this, uh, this animatronic skunk. Like he made this thing. He like bought like a, a taxidermied skunk, gutted it, made, made a face out of clay for a new face that looks like insane. He put a remote yeah. control car inside of it. And he oh, built wow. like a pulley function to where you could hook a hose up and spray it, you know. So we we borrowed that for this movie. And I we have a direct line reference too when Natasha discovers a big clue in the middle of the movie. She does that uh I had a dog and his name was Bingo. That's um, right, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, it's but but see I, I, I this is gonna sound like a little like, you know, like a disclaimer. I don't know how it might sound like I'm covering my ass, but like I used it in the movie as Natasha referencing Ace Ventura. Yeah. Do you, do you, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I had her Absolutely. do it exactly, act exactly the same way, because to me, Natasha Hall is a fan of Ace Ventura when nature calls. You, you know what I mean? Sure. So, yeah. but yeah, I, I think, and Steve Odekirk, we both are, uh, are disciples. Uh, you know, the Kung Pao sequel that we never got should be on this list, you know, because that's- Oh my God, yeah. We're going to talk wish list later, and I, I yeah. didn't even think of that, but you're so right. That's a, a sequel I've been waiting for my entire adult life. So Wait until uh, I tell you, you know. my idea for it, but we'll, we'll get into it. You're going to love my idea for it, I promise. But yeah, he's, he's, he's a genius, you know, and, and, um, and uh, I think that was, his, I can't remember if that was his directorial debut, but even if it wasn't, that's when he, like, became steve odekirk you know what i mean like yeah he, he actually threw sure. his hat in the ring and it and oh man amazing amazing yeah i i love uh when nature calls as well um i'm not sure which i haven't seen them in a long time i'm not sure which i would say i like better but uh they're, they're both great and uh yeah great pick um i'm gonna go with one i just rewatched recently and i know we talked about it in private but uh hot shots part do Oh, um, yes. incredible. Uh, another spoof, uh, to follow up Naked Gun, but Charlie Sheen returning, uh, it's a heavy Rambo influence on this one and very, very, very nineties. Um, most of the jokes are, you know, focused specifically on very nineties stuff, which would, you know, possibly date it, but it doesn't feel dated at all. When I was watching it, everything was freaking hilarious. Scene after scene, minute after minute, it just never stops. From the the opening credits straight to the very end, it's just constantly funny. Um, everybody in this is having so much fun. It, it's just filled with classic moments. And a, a movie that I, I think, like, I don't know, I feel like people forgot about this. And uh, it, it was... It was so big in the 90s, the Hot Shots movies. Uh, I always, I never really loved the first one. I remember when it came out, I thought it was funny, but it wasn't, like, great. But this one just blew me away at the time. And, like I said, still holds up. Uh, I recently rated it five stars on Letterboxd. I stand by that. Yeah. Oh, no, I have the exact same relationship with not only that film, but the franchise as you do. Like, I, I really do. Like, the first one, and I've seen it since. I'm like, yeah, it's cute. It's fun. It's, it's fine. But the second one is, like, cinema. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> like, like it, 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 so I, I used to make all of my movies with this guy named Joe O'Neill. Um, uh, we went to film school together and we made my first like five movies, five or six movies together. And he, he went off and actually made a career for himself as an art director. 
Um, he mm-hmm. came back on this one kind of hands on for the first time in years. And we, he was like the DP on this movie. He co-produced it. You know, it was, we were really getting to work together again. So we, we started watching all of our favorites together again. And Hot Shots Part Deux is like his favorite movie of all time. And when we were watching yeah. it, we got halfway through the kickboxer spoof scene when they're biting into the pig snout <laughs> sandwich and the snot and the mustard yeah. is coming out of it. Um, and Joe Neal said to me, he says, he says, more than anything else in the world, I want to make a film like this. But I feel like afterward, I'd have to retire because it would use up every ounce of creativity that I have in my imagination. <laughs> and yeah. you're talking about like an and I don't agree about the 90s thing dating it because there's like, I mean, there are things in that movie that are beyond universally funny. Like when they hide behind a giant boulder and a bomb goes off and it just deflates like a balloon and they're like, hmm. Yeah. Or, you know, or like when when Ryan Stiles shoots that guy with the grenade gun and he splatters against the wall in this huge splatter mosaic and just goes, now that's a hell of a gun, you know? And what about when he about, picks up a handful of uh, bullets and just throws just them throws at the guy? Them. <laughs> well, it actually has one of my like top five favorite jokes in any movie ever, which is when they're on the plane and Topper is reading uh, a book and Ryan Stiles is next to him. He goes, Hey, what are you reading? And he's like, great expectations. Great expectations. Oh yeah. Any good? Not all I hope for. Like <laughs> incredible. Yeah. I just, amazing. just, yeah, it really is. And, and, and for a while, my, my production company is named blue means pregnant films, but we almost changed it. Uh, uh, like 15 years ago or no, God, I'm old now, like almost 20 years ago. Now we, we were going to change it to give a dog a bone, sir, from that movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and then we also considered changing it to that same actor when, when they're trying to speak to him over the radio. They're like, the vultures are circling the nests. And he like looks up and he's like, I see a couple of gulls, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're talking about not only one of my favorite comedy sequels, but one of, I think, just one of my favorite films of all time. Hot Shots Part Incredible. Mm-hmm. Amazing stuff. What do you got for your next one? So this one is going to be like the most controversial uh as mm. far as uh, like um i'm gonna say clerks 2 which i oh, think yeah. is I figured a better this would come up i think that that's better than clerks 1 which is saying a lot about clerks 2 i hope people understand that like mm-hmm. clerks 1 is an absolute all-time like indie masterpiece it really is and to me clerks 2 is that person who made clerks fully realized at like the peak mm. of his life, you know? And, and what makes the first Clerks so good is Kevin is his perspective, is his ambition, is his naivety is, you know what I mean? Cause he is all of those characters. Those words are all him. The way it's made is all he could bring himself to do at the time. You know what I mean? It's him. And yeah. then clerks too, is that person having achieved everything that they set out to do in life. He's married, mm. he's got a kid, he's got a career, he's he's still getting to work with his friends. He, you know what I mean? It's like like you're watching the manifestation of a dream come true all throughout Clerks mm, too. Yeah. And that feeling is like super infectious. And I also have a really um I have a really like deep personal connection with that film that I don't want to get into here. I, I'm sure I've talked about it in other podcasts with you over these five years yeah, probably. doing this. But uh mm-hmm. but that that film and it's funny, you talk about dated. That movie feels more dated than the first one. It it really does. Like 
Because it was right on the cusp. Yeah, it's a very specific moment in time that, like, early 2000s. Yeah, definitely. Right before, right right before, like, uh, social media changed the landscape of what we're allowed to do and say. You know, and yeah. and um, and I think it's all the better for it, actually. And and um, so you know, and and I think that the ABC dance number in that film, I, I've just been chasing that sequence my whole career, as a as a <laughs> filmmaker. You know, like like seriously, like after seeing that scene, that is, if you were to ask me what's my favorite scene in movie history, that would probably be it. It would probably be the wow. ABC musical dance number from Clerks Two, um, and. Uh, yeah, I know it. I know a lot of people really don't like that one, and I know that the ones who do really don't think that it's better than one. You, you know what I mean? But um, sure, sure. But yeah, I, Clerks too. You know, and and that's kind of what I wanted to do with Suffrage as well. Was that like, you know, I've been doing this now. I made my first feature came out in spring of two thousand and six. You know, I, I I've been doing this now for seventeen, almost eighteen years, and after you know almost two decades of doing it like here I am better than I've ever been um, and getting to work with people that I've wanted to work with my whole life while yeah. still getting to work with my friends. I flew out friends from Florida to come help out on this one. I, you know, like the community that like has been built over these two decades of making these films that that has been like the most rewarding thing. And if, if, if I'm at the peak of my career right now with suffrage, like Kevin Smith was with clerks too. Sorry, Kevin. Like if this is the peak, (laughs) what I've learned and, and how I've grown by being a filmmaker in this community, like, like that's been worth it alone, you know? And I wish that, I wish that Kevin had that kind of peace about himself too, but you know, Mm. he doesn't. Yeah. That's probably because he has more bills to pay than I do. <laughs> I, I'd also say before I move on to my next one, uh, we were talking earlier about with uh, you know Natasha Hall like taking that character and putting her in a different kind of movie. Uh, you know, definitely that applies with Clerks as well. Taking mm. these characters that we know and love from you know what is essentially like a hangout, scrappy little indie, and putting them in this much bigger, you know, broader comedy. I think with Clerks too. So and showing how malleable know, they are because. Because yeah. at the end, Randall, that scene in the prison, like that scene fucking hits hard. You know mm. what I mean? Like, like if I had known that you were just going to bail on my ass a couple decades down the road, I wouldn't have bothered with your ass in the first place. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I love you. Please don't leave me. You know, like that coming out of yeah. Randall's mouth, like, and it works. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, that's, that's, that was one of Kevin's strengths. And, and that's something that I'm really attracted to is like, the more absurd you make it like it's almost like with a sequel the more absurd you get the more trust you have with people like you're willing to expose yourself a little bit more as as a as an artist you know what i mean you get to lean into all the things you really love because now you trust that people understand you you know so we get to peek a little deeper inside of these people so the more absurd you get the more sincere you can you're being at the same time as a filmmaker yeah you know that's 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 what i get off on as a as a director so Right on. Well, my next one is it's a little bit of a cheat uh, because it's not even like a, a real legit sequel. Um, it's more of a second movie cobbled together with delete from deleted footage and alternate takes. It's called Wake Up Ron Burgundy, the lost movie from 2004. Joe is so ecstatic so about good. this pick. It's so good. It's so good. It is. It, it's, Anchorman is amazing, but this movie takes 
first of all, an entire deleted B plot about these terrorists who want to wake up the United States called the alarm clock. <laughs> and uh, they don't really have an actual plan involved, but, um, you know, they, they're going to do something. Uh, so this all this was deleted from the original movie, along with alternate takes of some of the scenes from the original movie. It's much more absurd, much mm -hmm. weirder because of obviously the way that this whole thing was cobbled together. But that's exactly what you want out of Anchorman is for it to be as weird and absurd and out there as possible. And this really freaking nails that. And there was an Anchorman 2, of course, and I think this is way better than Anchorman 2. Uh, it might be better than the first one. Um, it's hilarious. It's so good. And I think even though it came on most people's DVDs, which, I mean, it feels like everybody has Anchorman on DVD. I think most people didn't watch it and really should because it is so funny and it's a whole other movie, basically. It, it actually didn't come on the DVDs. You had to buy the special two-disc. It was in its own case. It was like a two-disc. Right. Uh, I, I had it, the two-disc, yeah. And it might have been yeah. specific to Best Buy actually i can't remember if that like or like one of the it might have been one of those specific to like best buy or target or something like that and mm. um it's uh it's a fucking masterpiece um it actually has my favorite joke in all of the anchorman movies which is when they're sitting in the cafeteria eating and they're like brick where did you get that burrito and he's like from the food <laughs> bin at the end of the line and there's a trash can and they're like brick that's just a uh old coffee filter with cigarette butts in it and he goes he goes no and he just keeps eating um, <laughs> he just keeps eating but uh but um yeah no anchorman to uh, wake up ron burgundy is 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 i think of the anchorman trilogy as the perfect trilogy in that um <laughs> i love all three of them and mm -hmm. they get better as they go because i'm not with you i think anchorman 2 is like like the, the like the pinnacle of that kind of comedy i feel like it's all been wow. downhill since the because mm. there were two types of apatow comedies that happened you know simultaneously you had your your anchorman kind of abstract you know type sure your, your walk hards your you know and then you had your more like grounded like you know knocked up super bad kind of apatow that's when he became king and i think that the that the, the fucking anchorman 2 was the best of that. I and I love wow. all three okay. cuts of Anchorman 2. I love the PG-13 cut. I love the I love the unrated cut. I love the R-rated cut. They're all great. I still think the yeah. perfect cut is in is is a mix of all three somehow. Um mm. I mean that movie had fucking muskrat love in it. Like you should make that cut one day. Like when you have some downtime between all the movies you're doing, like you you're should right. just like grab all three cuts and put them together and then we'll watch it together. Oh, I would love to do that actually, because I, I actually do that sometimes for fun. Like I have my cut of death proof that I've done where I cut like 14 nice. minutes out of the director's cut. I also used to have, I lost it though on one of my hard drives. I made an 85 minute cut of Wolf of wall street. Um, because, uh, I still hate it so least, much better. Yeah. I still hate it, but at least you get through it a lot quicker. Um, but yeah, but yeah, I yeah. kind of do that. And I also did a kill bill where I reassembled, um, I, I made it chronological basically mm. like like where where it happens like you know in sequence except the pie may thing is still a flashback but like i actually think it plays a lot better put together like you know in in the way that it all unfolds um yeah but i still don't like that movie either but yeah it's it, sorry anyways anchorman uh wake up ron burgundy i can't believe you mentioned that movie it's a, it's an it's an untapped hidden wonderful gem great one good one awesome 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 what do you got next okay next up um, well, I, I gotta, this one's a bit of a cheat, a little mm -hmm. bit of a cheat, um, because, uh, it's a comedy, but it's an action comedy. 
Um, okay. But it is also, again, we're talking like all-time favorite films. Uh, Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. Ooh, um, we knew Joe was coming with some heat today. Charlie's Angels Full <laughs> Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, Mick Genius um, at his best. Uh, that movie... For me and and Joe O'Neill, my uh my my hetero life mate, uh Joe O'Neill, that is like our comfort food movie. That is our like, mm. you know, we haven't seen each other in a while, or we haven't talked in a while. One of us sends a a fucking meme from Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, or you know, and um we saw it on opening day. Um, I saw it twice on opening day actually, and it's playing at the New Beverly on uh November uh tenth, I think actually, oh, wow. like so uh. You know, cue this is like Spider- a sponsored episode. Yeah. This is going to be coming out like that week. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Cue, cue the cue the Spider Man to vindicated. I, you know, anyways, um, but uh, again, you talk about like Mick G made the first one, and he was a music video director. So like, and it was his first film, and it was like, you know, it was not well received by critics, but it surprisingly made a pretty penny. You know, like mm-hmm. it did pretty good. So the second one, they said, yeah, go do your thing, Mick G. And he went, oh, will I? <laughs> you know, yeah. and he made this like, I mean, you talk like gonzo. Like this is like gonzo filmmaking. This is like, we'll never get anything like it ever again on that level. Like it is so absurd. And have you seen the movie? I mean, you've got like, you've got like uh, Crispin Glover ripping out like the hair from a nun and like doing a. 10 foot backflip and then just sniffing it while screaming and lightning flashes. This is a hundred million dollar movie with this kind of shit, yeah. you know? And then on the yeah. soundtrack, you've got, um, you, they literally have a Rob Zombie song set to like fucking sick motocross footage that then transitions into a pink song with pink <clears throat> as like, as like the, 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 the head of the motocross, like underground motocross crew. Like, I mean, just just tailor-made for me just 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 absolutely yeah. tailor-made um i'm sure i saw it opening weekend but i don't remember a single thing about it so i'm not going to you know claim it as some misunderstood masterpiece i'm also not going to say that it's trash like most critics say like i gotta rewatch this one of these days i have a feeling i'll probably fall more on your side with it oh it's 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 yeah i mean it's 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 so wonderful it's um and again like like it's funny people criticized the movie because <laughs> it did not do well um, in either regard, critically or financially. But it's like, dude, how can you watch that movie and not like it and think to yourself, like, well, this is the movie's problem, you know? Like, mm. like, no, it's 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 just not for you. Like, like that movie, yeah. that like it's very obviously doing exactly what it wants and having a good time and doing it with skill. You know, yeah. So, like, if you're not into it, that's on you, and that's okay. Like, don't ruin yeah. our good time. Don't make us feel bad for, you know, yeah, yeah. enjoy. Like, the beginning of that movie when, like, uh, 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 the the angels are infiltrating this like Mongolian like underground like bar with like tons of like it's so insane. And like they like go to defend themselves, and they all like do their cool Charlie's Angels poses, doing Matrix style flips on chairs, and then it just cuts to a close up of Drew Barrymore, and she barks. And they use a real dog bark instead of her voice. Like, hell yeah. Um, Sounds amazing. I, I got to watch it again. I sat amazing. next to Drew Barrymore during uh, Incredibles 2, funny enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, I went to see The Incredibles 2, and we were sitting right next to each other. She brought, like, her kids or something. And I didn't say a word to her. 
because uh, the floodgates would have to open about Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. But I will say that we both <laughs> shared the whole the whole movie. We, bo- we both kept ex- exchanging looks where we were just like, ugh, because the incredible <laughs> two was not going to make it on this list. I tell you what. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, you know, to a lot of the same points you were just making there, um, I'm going Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey for my next pick here. Uh, a movie that is a very specific thing that audiences just didn't want out of it, you know? Um, the first one uh, is just absolutely beloved, and this movie wanted to do something completely different. And I feel like we we talked about this movie on a Bill and Ted's uh, double feature episode right before the third one came out. Um, but this is a movie that's been reassessed by most people, I feel like. Most people have come to realize how great it is. It's just a very different tone. It goes for much weirder, much absurd stuff, very comic booky. y uh, it's, it's not the first movie. It's just its own thing. And sometimes, with a lot of these sequels, they just don't really connect, not because they're bad, but because people wanted more of the first one. And this is a perfect example of that. I feel like it is hilarious. It is so unique. It is, there's nothing really quite like it. It's just so out there. And for that alone, it is uh, worth mentioning as a great comedy sequel. Uh, Well, yes, I absolutely agree. And I think one of the reasons why it works so brilliantly is because they didn't just do it because they could, and they didn't just do it to do it. They didn't just make it absurd and wacky or whatever. The first one is such a brilliant masterpiece because, and I've told you this, and I've talked about it on here many times, how I think that's the greatest screenplay maybe ever written. That the the first one, what makes it timeless, pun intended, and brilliant is that it's, it's about how teenagers what teenagers don't appreciate it's about how Mm. we can't how teenagers can't see these historical figures as people because we don't talk about these historical figures as like actual kids or human beings they're these noble historical figures so kids of this generation and you know since they they couldn't relate to them so they didn't feel that they could ever accomplish anything like that too and it's not until bill and ted meet them and see that Joan of Arc likes Pilates and that Beethoven yeah. loves synthesizers, that they see them as people, that they that their significance and their and their accomplishments really not only not only do Bill and Ted understand it after that, but it inspires them. And it inspires yeah, them sure. to do their own innovation and world saving through the thing that they love, which is music. You know, I mean yeah. you can't get a better message. And so the second one, what's so great about that second one is that the second one dares to say, all right, well, what are the other things that keep uh, young people from aspiring to their dreams? One is that they have no concept of, of, of time. They're young. They're having a good time. They don't, they, don't, they don't know that their time on this earth is limited. They're not thinking about death. They're not thinking about, sure. you know, they're just hanging out. And two, they don't apply themselves because they're too busy just having fun doing what they're doing. So they don't apply themselves to learning their craft. And Bill and Ted bogus journey so it exists in the same like space of like well what is it that that young people need you know what i mean and and how can we how can we give that to them you know what i mean so that's why it works it works because it's coming from the same root of existence you know and sure and when you're coming from a place that that's me that's that meaningful then you can do anything you know, you can yep. do anything with your movie. And Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey is proof of that. And then that's why Bill and Ted Face the Music fucking sucked. Because it was this <laughs> disingenuous movie that totally undoes everything that the first two movies do. 
You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. it's it's it completely missed the mark. And that's actually one of my favorite episodes you and I have ever done. I actually listened to that. Yeah, a that was weeks a fun ago. one. I, <laughs> dude, man, during lockdown, I really had time to just uh to just really <laughs> stew on that fucking movie. But um <laughs> bogus journey. I'm so glad I didn't even think of that one. And well, and it's because, like I said, I was trying to do sequels that I think are better than the first one. And I don't think that one's better than the first one. I think it's just as good. Uh, so yeah i think just as good i think that one is definitely on equal ground for sure Mm -hmm. uh so yeah well what do you got for your fifth pick okay see this is this is like this is like the push and pull because it's like there's so many sequels that i like more than the originals you know like i like the matrix sequels more than the original i like crank two way more than i like crank one i you know there's just Mm -hmm. so many to pick from but i'm trying to think comedy and i don't want to do austin powers gold member which is again one of my favorite movies of all time because if we do the third i almost put it on my list too yeah i mean if we're gonna do three quotes i mean that one's gonna be on my list because again (laughs) you talk about favorite jokes of all time my number one of all time is in that movie Hmm. when dr evil says quid pro quo mr powers and he goes yes squid pro row that's my (laughs) favorite joke in a movie ever and um but but i'll talk about that one when we do a a threequel one yeah so sure uh, it's a weird note to go out on but i'm gonna say fletch lives Mm. the the fletch sequel from uh 89 I just, I know that when it came out, it was hated. Um, but I actually think that cinematically speaking, it's the closest we've gotten to an actual Fletch book, which I love the Fletch books. I love them. Mm-hmm. And I know that this one that came out uh, last year, Confess Fletch, was like a direct adaptation of a Fletch book and like is much more true. But also the deviations were were like frustrating to me because it proved mm. that the people making it didn't get it. They didn't get it. They don't get what makes Fletch Fletch. You know what I mean? They get Mm. why Fletch is cool, but they don't get what makes Fletch Fletch. And the first Fletch movie is a, they took Fletch, the novel, and made it a Chevy Chase movie, which I love Fletch. You know what I mean? So like, that's not a disc. Sure. Fletch Lives was written by the guy who wrote the Fletch books, right? So like, it's him saying, all right, if you guys are going to make fucking movies, especially with this guy, let me... Let me write it at the very least so that you're not like yeah. bastardizing something I've already done. And um, man, you want to talk about dated. Oof, there's some stuff in that movie that's very dated. In particular, uh, the black man servant who lives on the premises, but then turns out to be mm. an undercover CIA agent. You know, I mean, sure. pretty good, pretty funny. But um, but I, I again I can see why people didn't care for that one, but it has I think it's a I think it's a more fully realized movie than the first Fletch. If you like the first Fletch, it's because you like Chevy Chase. If you like the second mm. Fletch, it's because you like Fletch. You, mm. you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's also might be why some people turned on it when it came out because they're like, "What is this? This isn't like the first one. This is there's a musical number in this with Zippity Doodah. <laughs> like, yeah, again, dude. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's about Fletch inheriting a plantation for God's sake, and then going hey, up against hey. a mega church preacher played by Arlie Ermey. Um, uh, and Michael Ritchie, one of the greatest directors of all time. I mean, he very obviously did it. Like, it's so funny. My buddy Vincent put it best. He was like, when we were watching it, he was like, man, like, why did Michael Ritchie do this movie? Like why, you know, he's one of the best directors of all time. Why is he doing a sequel five years later to this movie? And then there's a shot on an airplane where you actually see Michael Ritchie doing a little director cameo in the background on an airplane playing with like his grandkid. And Vincent goes, Uh oh, that's why. Mm, like, there like, you go. That's why. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think Fletch Lives is very underrated, very underseen. I actually bought like an import Blu-ray of that movie because um, they don't have one in the U.S. Um, 
And uh, I, I guess I bring it up mostly just to promote it, you know, like like just to get yeah, people sure. to actually fucking watch that movie. Um, yeah, I've never seen it, and uh, I'm curious as someone who I liked the first one. I I I like Confess Fletch. Um, yeah. I'm curious, you know, I obviously have not read the books, and so I'm curious where I would come in on something like that. Obviously, I do like some like out there weird stuff, but. Uh, I'm also not particularly like that invested in the character. So I'm curious where I'd fall on this one. I mean, like I said, it's pretty dated. It starts with him like cross-dressing as a maid going undercover. And then, like I said, it's about him inheriting a plantation. So like you're going to get into some sticky territory there, you know, but, but like, um, but I don't know. It's, it's almost like watching, uh, all in the family or something. You know what I mean? Like they know (laughs) what they're doing. It's just, we, we've become very sensitive to even like a, uh, even a satirical kind of look at at these kinds of themes that like yeah you know oh that's what they should have done man they should have they should have done a new fletch with like the jody hill gang you know what i mean like oh, jody boy. hill and david gordon green they should have made a new yeah. Fletch movie yeah oh boy that would be uh that would be something i could I'd picture them danny, doing it too i'd take danny mcbride as fletch why not like i mean <laughs> you know part of the whole thing about fletch is that he's so handsome that he gets like He's the perfect kind of handsome as part of the joke, you know, so they'd have to work around mm-hmm. that, I guess. But, you know, sorry, Danny. But, you know, <laughs> it's a, I'd rather see that than another Greg Matala one. No offense, Greg. Yeah. Well, I'll go with my last pick. And I wanted to pick something recent, but it was really tough because there haven't been a lot of uh, comedy sequels lately. And also, as we know, comedy has been swallowed up by Marvel and superhero movies. So I'm going Ant-Man and the Wasp, which is... To me, my favorite MCU movie, um, specifically because it's just so funny. It's Paul Rudd is hilarious as Ant-Man. His crew of people, Michael Douglas, uh, his buddies played by Michael Pena, David Destmelchian, and T.I., they're all so funny. There are so many jokes in this movie. It's just a light, fun adventure, which I know it got a lot of criticism at the time because we were just coming off the uh, heels of Avengers Infinity War and nobody wanted light and fun and funny. They just wanted more you know, grim, serious, end-of-the-world superhero shit. And uh, so most people don't like this movie, even Marvel fans. Um, I, it's literally the number one on my list when it comes <laughs> to Marvel movies. And uh, I, I think this movie just is nonstop fun. It is funny. Paul Rudd is great. He's never been better in the series. And uh, it's, I, I think, one that's worth revisiting, whereas most of these Marvel movies, um, you know, I watch them once and that's the end of it. Uh, I've watched Ant-Man and the Wasp like three times now. I could see myself even watching it again in the future. Yeah, I, I I remember seeing that one. Um, I I remember some things about it. Ghost is the villain in that, if I'm correct. Her name There's is multiple villains like most of yeah. these, but yeah, Ghost is one of them. And, yeah, and 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 that's the one where they shrink the building. Or is yes. that the first one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they I, do that in this. I like that one, and and you know, I'm no stranger to having like a uh, hot take picks on uh favorite Marvel movies. My favorite Marvel movie is Wakanda Forever. So you know, hey, I, there I, you go. I I I get it, uh, but um. The Ant-Man movies just never clicked with me, and I think it's because mm. I don't really like heist movies. Fair enough. Which, which is yeah. funny because heist movies, uh, I think it was maybe that, what's that idiot's name? Patrick Willems. I think he did uh, one of his episodes on uh, how heist movies are actually all just a metaphor for filmmaking, and that's why filmmakers like mm. to make them. Oh, I, I have seen that yeah. before, yeah. yeah. But I will say that of the three Ant-Man movies, 
that was the one that I obviously like remember the most about, you know what I mean? Like the two things I asked that was in that one. Right. And it was, yes, you know, like, yes, was the answer. And it's sad because the MCU almost tried to sweep that one under the rug. Like, right. Cause like, where did ghost go? And then like, they kind of changed the, even in the, even in the Ant-Man continuity, they changed like what happened to Michelle Pfeiffer down there in the quantum realm. And sure. Um, which is a bummer. It's a bummer. You know, here I am making a sequel that like, you know, totally like ignores all the continuity it doesn't want to it doesn't want to address but yeah at the same time the whole what made marvel so special was the continuity you mm-hmm. know was that it all strung together um and then the tv shows came along and ruined everything yet again another reason why i don't watch tv because it ruins everything um yeah but uh and and i'll definitely say david i like ant-man and the wasp way more than infinity war so um, Fair I'll enough. give you that. I'm, yeah, I'm Infinity with War is trash. Endgame I loved, <laughs> but Infinity War, absolute trash. I have a theory that the Russo brothers made Infinity War and that Disney saw that and they're like, oh, we'll, we'll just pretend you did Endgame. Like, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, guys. There you go. Well, that's our five. Um, do you have any honorable mentions? I mean, obviously, Evil Dead 2 is my first. Uh, I was going to include it, but I talk about Evil Dead enough on this list. And plus, it is a horror comedy, so uh, it's kind of a side genre. But um, any any other honorable mentions you want to bring up? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I mean, I brought up a couple of them. Like, I think that Blues Brothers 2000 is just like a, a really unfairly uh, maligned movie. Um, all of the things that people criticize it for, I say, yeah, that's the point. And the reason mm-hmm. the movie exists is because of cynicism, like what you're projecting toward this movie. That, you know, the whole mm-hmm. thing is a love letter to what we have lost and a reminder to, it's almost like Coco. Like, it's like that movie Coco, the Disney uh, Pixar movie, where it's about, yes, we've lost all of these things and we'll never be able to regain them. So what we have to do is we have to inspire the next generation to Mm -hmm. remember them and to carry that legacy on and to not lose sight of what made those artists and even the first blues so, so wonderful and important. Like don't lose sight of that. And, you know, um, so I think that that's an absolutely wonderful sequel. I, you know, and again, like I'll save Austin powers gold member for another episode, not an army of darkness. I like way more than evil dead too. So that's, you know, getting, getting the audience. Yeah, exactly. But, um, but yeah, I mean, and the Matrix sequels are, and Crank 2, High Voltage, again, I just well, the Matrix like, not really comedy, but uh, Crank could fit in. Though, oh, I guess comedy. you're right. I guess you're right. Yeah, we're talking about, <laughs> we're talking about comedies. But yeah, uh, yeah, superior sequels, I actually have a letterboxed uh, uh, list that is superior sequels. So uh, Nice. Yeah, if you guys want to check that out. Um, it, I will it, link to that in the show notes for sure. Yeah, it's cool. uh, I want to wrap this up with uh, just a quick little wish list of any other comedy sequels that haven't been made that we wish would get made. You mentioned Kung Pao earlier. Uh, you mm-hmm. said you have a, a theory for this one. So there's a uh, there's a there's a, a kung fu uh, movie called The Crippled Masters. Have you heard of this movie? No. It's about one guy who got his arms chopped off for insubordination. Uh, to the government and another guy who got his legs uh, burned off with acid because of it. So it's a mm. one, one warrior with no arms and one warrior with no legs. And they team up to be like the ultimate like warrior. Like they work back to back. Amazing. Like, one does the, yeah. Have that be the chosen one and his, mm-hmm. his long lost twin brother. 
Oh, and like the idea is that the idea is that like what's better than a chosen one? Two chosen ones. Like yeah, two you, chosen ones. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like like and just use the crippled master as like your basis for you yeah. know I mean, I'm just saying that's like, amazing. And in even in these kind of like, you know, more politically correct and more understanding times of like, you know, uh I think that Steve Odekirk is just psychotic enough to be like, Yeah, that sounds hilarious. You know, yeah, let's um, do it. Yeah. Kung Pao 2 Cripple Masters. <laughs> I also would love to see Observe and Report 2. That would be something Ooh, yeah. I would be very interested in seeing, uh, a sequel to that masterpiece. But do it with uh, zombies like Dawn of the Dead, like combine like the zombies <laughs> in a mall thing with, um, with, with, with Ronnie Bernhardt. I mean, that would be like Christmas for him. In fact, set it at Christmas. Y- sure. Yeah, Ronnie Bernhardt and, and, and company getting to lay waste to zombies, you know. That sounds really fun. I like that idea. That's great. Mm-hmm. How about you? I, I wrote down two. Uh, of course, The Nice Guys 2 is the sequel that we deserve and will never get. I know he supposedly had a whole sequel idea where they like have to go down to Mexico or something like that, but it, it you know it's been on the back burner for years now, and at this point, I can't imagine it'll ever happen. The other one, also a sequel that I know was in the works, but probably will never happen at this point, uh, Galaxy Quest 2. Without Alan Rickman, I don't know you know why you would even make the movie anymore but it was a great idea though to try to to try to continue that story because it's a really fun movie and i think that there's a lot of opportunity for more uh you know for an update of that nowadays yeah especially given like the new landscape of of trek and not only trek but like lega sequels and you know like sure um yeah i think you're right and uh as far as i'm concerned there's a lot of room for improvement on galaxy quest sorry folks mm. and uh also as you know i think there's a lot of room for improvement with the nice guys um both movies that are good i think they're good but <laughs> yeah but i don't like them because there's greatness in there there's untapped greatness unrealized greatness mm. and um it's funny you know shane black wrote lethal weapon 2 um mm. and then uh, they hated his take on it so much that he that he dropped out and ended up only with story credit on it. And I've read his original Lethal Weapon 2, and uh, Riggs dies at the end of his Lethal Weapon 2. He dies. He wanted to hmm. kill off the character. And I think that that's Shane Black's problem. I think that Shane Black tries to force everything into his like uh, pessimistic, nihilistic worldview. And... I think that's part of what didn't work for me with the nice guys is that that ending is just like, okay, thanks. Like a fucking, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like killer bees, like can't win anything, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, cool. Like you're so fucking cool. If you saw the house that Shane black lives in while he wrote those scripts, you'd be like, all right, dude, you know what? But like, (laughs) he deserves it. Well, I mean, I agree. I mean, he's, I like, I've been critical of him, but he's actually one of my favorite writers and last action hero, his draft of last action hero, which is drastically different from the other drafts. I know there's four credited writers on that movie, but I've read every possible draft of that I can get my hands on. And I'll tell you 80% Mm -hmm. of the movie you watched was all Shane black. Um, he's he's brilliant. He's a brilliant writer and, uh, and he's a cool dude, but sometimes people just get in the way. So if there is a nice guys too, I would hope that he would write it maybe and then somebody else could direct it. I don't know. Uh eh, maybe give it to Mick G. <laughs> oh no. That that isn't that is a note to go out on. Joe, where can people find you and where can people find suffrage? Okay, you can find me and my work and my films at bluemeanspregnantfilms.com. 
And you can find our first film, Natasha Hall, on Tubi, Amazon, Google Play, YouTube, all that good stuff. Please, you know, I, I'm in the business now of like, give us, leave us a rating. It really helps with the algorithm. Blah, 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 you know. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, Suffrage should be available uh, uh, sometime in like mid-December um, on <laughs> all of those platforms as well. I did want to. I did want to give a, a, a another a quick shout out to um, who we didn't mention who worked on suffrage. Other, you know, other than Eric Roberts and my wife, and uh, I wanted to shout out to Daniel Roebuck of uh, of uh, like the Fugitive and like Rob Zombie movie fame and stuff. He's an actor who's been working for thirty years. Everybody has seen him. You see that face, and you're like, oh, that guy. He was very generous yeah. and worked on this film. And I want to thank you know Dwayne Whitaker from Pulp Fiction who was in the film, and and Diane Goldner who. The first half hour is just her, and she's just brilliant in the film. And Elise Muller and Ron Thompson and uh, my my good friend Christina. I want like wait till you see these people in this movie, you guys. Like I really love this movie. It um I've made fifteen films, and this is in the top two at at the very yeah. least. Um, and mm -hmm. uh, I think that that's because this one is uh the closest to me that that I've ever gotten to putting a you know to 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 putting it up on the screen. Like this is. This is yeah. the closest to how I see the world and how things make sense to me for better or worse. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it was really nice to, um, to see that, uh, manifest in a way that was satisfying for me. And also, you know, it's been landing pretty well. We actually just won the audience award at the treasure coast film festival. Last That's year. right. Yeah. Um, That's so awesome. We, we weren't nominated for any actual awards. Um, but the mm. audience spoke. You know, and in and, and my go. accepted speech, I, I equated us to Michael Bay and Adam Sandler, who also only win uh, audience <laughs> awards. And so I, I feel like I'm in good company at this point. There you go. <laughs> well, Joe, thank you so much for being here. And we'll get you back again soon for uh, one of these end of the year movies. We got to get you back on. Maestro. Oh, yeah. Hey, it's Ashley Ray, and I host the podcast TV I Say. Have you ever referred to television as your friend? Do you want 10 more seasons of In Just Like That? Did you rewatch every episode of King of Queens in 2020? Then this is the podcast for you. Join me and a new guest each week to discuss your favorite TV shows and my 90 Day Fiance hot takes and my Below Deck hot takes and basically all my TV hot takes. <laughs> listen to TV I Say wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about some of our favorite comedy sequels, as well as Joe Black's new film, Suffrage, the sequel to Natasha Hall. If you're enjoying piecing it together, make sure you are subscribed. We've got a lot of episodes on the way, so you can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, Spotify, wherever it is you're listening. Hit the follow button or the subscribe button, whatever it happens to be. And I really appreciate you being out there and listening. Of course, you could share the show with your friends. Get in touch with me if you ever want to join me for an episode. You can also follow us on social media at PiecingPod and join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. I told you about the Patreon at the top, so I'm not going to go into that again. But it is the Produced by David Erzin Patreon. You can check that out. I'm going to close this out with a piece of music like I always do. And speaking of comedy movies, I am going to go with a track that I made for a comedy movie called Last Day of School. This is uh, from some local filmmakers here in Las Vegas, the Mahal Brothers. They've been doing all kinds of crazy comedies and horror movies. And their most recent one, actually, I think the Kickstarter just started uh, Bikers versus Werewolves or Werewolves versus Bikers, something like that. Go check that out.
Uh, but this was one of their first projects, and it's like a throwback rock punk kind of comedy song. So I hope you enjoy it. It's called Last Day of School. We'll be back with more Piecing It Together real soon. It's time for an epic party. It's gonna be really freaking cool. So tell your friends it's happening. Cause this is the last day of school. West Production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.